Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What is up, faithful? Welcome again to another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Auto Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. Should mention, by the way, the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, happily brought to you by theqbsneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to theqbsneak.com. Levin, I have to give you credit because I didn't think that the 49ers could go into Seattle and get the victory. I didn't think that they'd be able to score 20 points because they had never done it against Pete Carroll. And sure enough, San Francisco went up there and for the majority of the game dominated almost every facet. And you were the only one who thought the 49ers were going to get it done. So I give you credit. Yeah, I don't know how much credit I deserve based on the fact that I said it. Do I really think they're going to win? No, probably not. I just can't bring myself to pick Seattle. So I don't (laughs) know how much credit's really deserved there. But it did give me, I believe, the season win in terms of our predictions. We've each kind of missed a week here and there, but uh, I believe that gave me the best percentage because I only missed twice. Funny how you remember that. <laughs> Just happened to recall that statistic, did you? That's uh, that's great. But no, yeah, well, stats are my thing, even though you're <laughs> the one with the name. It was an incredible game. I don't know about you, but the way the 49ers jumped out ahead early, I almost didn't feel excitement after the game was over, I felt more relief because I thought that that San Francisco controlled the game for basically the entire thing. I mean, they had seven possessions in the game. They scored on five of them. So I thought that the game was firmly in the 49ers control. And then all of a sudden you see Russell Wilson start to take over a little bit in the second half. So that when it got down to the end of the game, I felt more relief than excitement. Yeah. I mean, I I think with the history that's there, I mean, uh, other than the specific moments where they scored, I didn't have much excitement in that game because I just knew what was coming. I mean, it, it's that whole, <laughs> I've seen it before. So, I, you know, I was sitting in my recliner watching the game and I was just kind of, I was quiet most of that game. I was just kind of sitting there in a trance, like I'm, I'm just waiting, you know, they're not going to put this away. And, you know, we were texting during the game and I, I said, the Niners need to start the half off and go out and score a touchdown. And they, obviously didn't do that they didn't have a good second half start and that allowed seattle to make it a game and in reality that defense got figured out and i guess that's why russell wilson is who he is i mean that's a game that i think the longer that game goes the more seattle starts to pull away i mean they dominated that second half it was it was frustrating too because the, the weapons. That's, I mean, what weapons did Seattle have to deal with? Everybody made a big deal about Marshawn Lynch coming back. And Marshawn Lynch didn't do anything in the game. I think he had 12 carries for 34 yards, and 15 of those yards came on one carry. Like He didn't really do anything, yet because Russell Wilson is so freaking good, he's moving the ball down the field in the second half. And I agree with what you said. I think the longer the game went, the more points Seattle was going to score. Is that, you think, just on the players getting tired, or is that on Robert Sala? I think it's partially on Robert Sala, and I think it's more so just 
that's what a dominant quarterback does. A dominant quarterback figures out defenses as the game goes, and the deeper you get into the game, the more they recognize things and the faster they are to react and find the open man, and the better they are at audibling into the correct plays. And that's where Russell Wilson is. He's one of the handful of quarterbacks capable of doing that. And he's one of the most consistent at doing it in today's NFL. You know, it's what Peyton Manning was able to do. It used to be what Tom Brady could do. I think he's kind of fallen off that a little bit. He's not physically capable of taking advantage of what the defense gives him anymore because there's part of his game he can't do anymore. He can't do the deep passing. But, you know, it used to be Peyton and Tom Brady and, I would put Drew Brees in that category, and I'd say he's probably still in that category, especially with Sean Payton calling the plays. And Russell Wilson for the last five might even be a better part of a whole decade now. He's able to figure out a defense and in the second half start taking over. Let's get to the end of the game specifically, obviously, because that's what it all came down to. So it's fourth and 10 at the 12. There's 42 seconds left, and Wilson, of course, finds a receiver open, they get to the one-yard line. And then, I don't know what happened for Seattle, right? So they've got a they've got Fant, who's injured. They finally get him to the line as the clock is running because they don't have any timeouts, and they spike the ball. There's 23 seconds left. It's second and goal at the one-yard line. Marshawn Lynch is coming in, and I'm like, at this point, I am resigned to defeat. I'm... Like, I can't believe this. They're going to steal another one from us. We're going to be the 5C. This is terrible. And then what happened to Seattle? Because all of a sudden I look on the screen, I see the play clock counting down 654, and I could see that the Seahawks are still in the huddle. They haven't even broken the huddle yet. So I'm like yelling at the TV, like, delay a game, delay a game. And they called it delay a game, and that changed the entire rest of the sequence. What happened to the Seahawks and Pete Carroll? It's. Something that I think has been lost because everybody's talking about the pass interference potential play, you know, the second to last play that Seattle had. And that's everybody's attention, but really it should be on how the heck do you allow that to happen? How does a team with a quarterback like Russell Wilson get a delay a game in that situation? What happened? Where's the communication? I don't feel like there was an answer to that. Why didn't the media after the game hammer them and go, what happened? Because all, all I've seen is, yeah, it was a communication error. We made a mistake. It should have been, they should have figured out who made the communication error. Did Schottenheimer not get the play call in? Did they have a an issue with the helmet where he couldn't hear? I mean, he was on the, if I'm not mistaken, he went to the sideline after the spike. So how does he not get the play call when he went to the sideline? And if he got the play call, I feel like Russell Wilson just lost sight. If I had to guess, it's, He lost sight of the play clock, and by the time the other coaches realized that, hey, he's not paying attention, they hit that point where the communications turned off to his headset. They couldn't warn him, get to the dang line and get going, (laughs) and it was just you know one of those situations. But after the Super Bowl against the Patriots, where clearly Bill Belichick saw that Seattle was confused, that they were not buttoned up at the end of that game, and of course we know Russell Wilson throws the interception, you would think after that, at that point, that no team in the league would be more prepared to handle those end-of-game situations at the goal line than the Seahawks. And we talked about it in previous episodes. Pete Carroll's game management once again let him down, and that was an absolutely massive play. And credit to the 49ers 
because they took advantage of it. And that's something that I feel like we've seen with this team all year, Levin, is that, yes, every there are questionable calls, there are questionable plays, there are maybe fluke plays or certain things that happen in the game, but the 49ers have taken advantage of those every single time, and last night was another example. Right, and I, feel, I, want, I don't want to say the fans were robbed of that potential goal line decision because that would would have been a really tough decision of what play do you run because there's only 23 seconds left they don't have timeouts Mm -hmm. there's the marshawn lynch thing he's back he already scored once by jumping over the pile do you risk running him because if he jumps into the pile the defenders if he doesn't make it are going to be able to hold him for quite some time i mean you lose you probably can't get four plays off if you decide to run on first down there but at the same time if you go to pass and you don't win you know what's coming in the post game because you know what happened <laughs> last time. You didn't give Marshawn Lynch the ball on the one-yard line. So it, I think football in general was robbed of that decision of, okay, here it is. Pete Carroll gets his chance to redo it. What's he called this time? But as a Niners fan, I'm quite happy they didn't get that decision because I don't have any confidence in the world that if they were on the one-yard line that they wouldn't have gotten it in with 23 seconds, whether they ran or not. I think they they had the chance. I totally agree. I think if they were still there, they would have found a way to get it into the end zone. Do you think that what happened at the end of the Falcons game helped the 49ers keep the Seahawks out of the end zone at the end of this one? Because I point that out because on the Julio Jones play, the 49ers went low. And what happened was when Julio got hit, his upper body bent towards the goal line, and that helped the ball just kiss the front of the goal line and score the touchdown. In the case last night, Greenlaw goes high on Hollister and stops his momentum short of the goal line so that his upper body cannot bend over to the goal line and have the ball go into the end zone. Do you think that the Atlanta game was a factor in that, or they just basically got lucky this time? I would say a small factor, and only because of something that Greenlaw said. But first I'll say say I don't think it was a factor because I don't think when a play is like that you don't have the time to think in my opinion i don't think they have the time to go i gotta hit him high you gotta react to what the player is because you don't know if he's going to be lunging for the ball and he's already half down or or what you know you don't have you just know you gotta hit him and try to keep him out but i would say it was a small factor because i did see Greenlaw. uh i don't remember the exact question they asked him something like what, what was going through your mind or something like that when you when you did that and he said all i know is i had my foot right on the goal line and i couldn't allow that foot to get pushed back and if you watch the play, you do see one one of his feet is dead on the goal line and he sticks that and uses it as a, a pivot or a wedge or whatever you want to call it to be able to hold his momentum and not get pushed back. You know, he dug in with that foot. So I think that part of it might have come from prior experience. He knew I need to get a foot planted so I don't get pushed back into the end zone. But I mean, in, in the bang bang style that the play was i don't think he has time to think go high go low or whatever it was that one inch the seahawks did not get reshuffle the entire nfc playoff picture right because if the 49ers lose they're not the one seed they're the five seed and that completely changes all the playoff matchups pretty much every playoff team in the nfc was affected by the outcome of that game i know saints fans were crying because there was no pass interference in the end zone and Somehow, every penalty has to come back to the Saints not getting that call in the NFC Championship game. I mean, it was an unbelievable game, an unbelievable outcome. And 
you could tell from Kyle's reaction after the game, getting the bye for this team is massive. It's the difference between making the Super Bowl and not making the Super Bowl. Well, having the chance to make the Super Bowl, we should say, because that's no guarantee. But yeah, I, I, I think I said, I don't remember if it was last week's podcast or if I tweeted it out that the Niners have no shot if they don't get the buy, mm-hmm. in my opinion, just because of the injuries they have and the fact that they've played. That was their 13th straight game. You're not going to make the Super Bowl and win it playing in your 17th straight game. <laughs> I guess you get a buy prior to the Super Bowl, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in that bye week. You're not exactly resting during True. that bye week prior to the Super Bowl. You know, as Marshawn Lynch knows all too well, I'm just here not to get fined. <laughs> you got obligations <laughs> during that bye week, but I don't think they would have had any chance. I think they're worn out, and I think they benefit more than any team in the league having that bye because they had injuries and because they've been so long without a bye week. They really do just need a mental reset. I mean, they are worn down, and we've seen that with the defense especially. And part of that is the injuries have worn out this defense. Early in the season when the defense was dominating, it was the defensive line that really dominated. They they started it, and they were able to do that because they were fresher. The way they were freshers, they ran such a heavy rotation. They had so many quality guys that even their star players like Boza were only playing 60% of the snaps. Well, since injuries, they've been playing 90% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. You can see they're getting worn down. Now, we're going to do a separate podcast next week to, to preview what's to come for the 49ers, but I just want to get your quick take with the bye week now. And D Ford you know, has now two more weeks to get healthy. And Tart, and we saw Ward get banged up in this game. Bosa, I think, injured his hand in some sort of way last night. He was looking at it. He was shaking it. Assuming all those guys are, I'm not going to say 100%, because nobody is at this point in the season, but close to it. Do you think that the 49er defense in the playoff game is going to look like the defense we saw earlier in the year? I think they'll be quite close. I think part of that defensive dominance was quality of opponent. Um, but I do think that they were at a different level. And I do think, you know, I've raised the question on whether or not the Niners should move on from D4 just because the type of injuries issue he has with the knee is not something that's going to go away because it's arthritic. And yeah, they can save about $10 million by releasing him next season. So it's kind of a, you still have quite a bit of dead cap, but I think it's like six and a half million dead cap if they release him, but it saves 10 million. So it, with the cap situations coming, is that a, something you choose to do? But that said, I do think that this season, he is the missing piece. As much as Bosa is on the other side, D Ford is to the, to the opposite side. And the reason for that is is what we've seen time and time again. With Boza, you can get the pressures. It's almost like the defenses of past seasons with Buckner and Armstead not being able to get home for the sacks because they don't have elite speed. So the quarterback's able to escape out the sides. Well, Bosa's kind of in that, in that way too. He doesn't quite have elite speed. He's not going to outrun some of these better quarterbacks and because D Ford's not on that other side, you're seeing so many quarterbacks escape, or you're seeing the interior defensive lineman knowing that, trying to spread out a little bit to try to cover that outside escape route. 
and you see how many times did we see Russell Wilson escape up the middle mm-hmm. in all night. the game on Sunday all the time. And that's, I think, partially because Armstead and Buckner are trying to cover that left side of the defensive line and not because that's what we saw time and time again with the other quarterbacks. They kept escaping out that left side. They were going away from Boza. So they tried to counteract that some. And I even saw on the one sack that the Niners did have early in the game, Buckner rushed from the outside. He was playing defensive end. It's the first time I can recall seeing seeing that, you know, and it worked. And that tells you how important the Niners see that outside spot. Well, with D Ford, you're not escaping off that side. He's speed. I mean, he has a good bull rush, but he has a good bull rush because he's able to get up to top speed so quickly, in my opinion. that That's what makes it D Ford's bull rush when he put, just gets the the tackles on ice skates on his bull rush that people have talked about. It's because he's at full speed in those two. I mean, he's he's got an incredibly fast twitch, and then he has the ability to just outrun the quarterback. He Somebody like Russell Wilson, if I'm not mistaken, We've seen him in the past. I'm trying to remember the quarterback earlier this season. It was a more mobile quarterback. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Kyler Murray, actually, in the first go-around with Arizona, where he went to escape and D4 chased him down. That's the type of speed he has. I have to give Bosa a little bit of credit in this game because there were a couple times where Russell Wilson was scrambling and Bosa peels off his block and, and chases him down. You know, and gets he he just barely got him. There were a couple of times where he was grabbing the bottom of his shoes, but but he made the play. And he's not the fastest guy in the world, but I love his motor. And I, I have to give him a lot of credit because there were times where he chased Wilson down or he would go past him on the pass rush, which was frustrating, but he would do it. But then he would you could see him hustle back and make the play or make the tackle. I I, I was so impressed by Bosa, just especially at this point in the season. You know, he's getting double teamed, he's getting chipped, he's getting more and more attention, and his motor never stops and he keeps making plays. Right. And that's his probably biggest strength. I mean, yeah, he's an extremely advanced pass rusher. He can do elite hand fighting, although last night you saw him kind of have to stop doing that because he did Andrew's hand, I believe, on one of those chase downs, the one where he swiped at Russell Wilson and got him by the uh, foot. And dragged him down after only like a yard, one yard gain. Ever since then, that's when he was messing with his hand. I think that's when he got hurt, and he did get pulled out after that play for a rest. I think that's because his hand was hurting. But his motor is his biggest strength, and that's why he's so highly rated by these websites that do full season ratings, mm-hmm. like Pro Football Focus. And it's because he doesn't take plays off. Every single play, he's a factor, whether it's a quarterback pressure or changing where a run goes. Because he has not only the ability to get to a quarterback, but he's a big, strong defensive end that's able to hold his ground in the run game. So he doesn't really have a weakness. His only weakness is finishing. And that's probably because he doesn't have that true elite speed and the quarterback's able to just get the pass off or take a step up and avoid him. Just barely, but he has an effect each and every play, and that's his motor. There's tons more we could say on this game, um, but we do want to get to sort of a a 10,000-foot view of the 49ers regular season. So let's get to some game balls. Uh, I'll give you the first pick, Levin. This one's tough, but I think... I'm, I'm 
It's two offensive players I'm torn on, but I think I'm going to have to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. It was his highest rated QBR, the ESPN QBR of the season. He was like 90.7, if I'm not mistaken. On his QBR, it was his highest rated of the season because he was so efficient. I mean, he didn't throw an incompletion the entire second half. It's incredible. If somebody else did that, people would be going nuts. If Mahomes did that, I mean, people would be losing their minds. He didn't throw an incompletion in the biggest game of the year in one of the toughest environments in the league. And it's because he didn't get the touchdowns. That, that's why nobody's raving about Jimmy Grapple. He had zero touchdowns because they ran it in every time, whether it was the Debo end around or, or the Mostert rushes. So that's kind of why he's not getting the media attention that he deserves because that, in my opinion, is one of the best games somebody's had in the last 10 years in Seattle. Going in there and being able to do that, I mean, he not only started out near perfect, I think he was 8 for 8 at one point, but then he had a perfect second half. I mean, the Niners didn't put up as many points as they should have in the second half, but that wasn't on him. That was on some sacks and derailments and rushing ineffectiveness on certain drives. And they still scored on five of their seven possessions in the game. But, I mean, you mentioned it in Seattle. Listen to this. Quarterbacks in their first start in Seattle in prime time since Pete Carroll got there. They were 0 for 6. They threw for 208 yards a game with six touchdowns, four picks, and a 77 passer rating. And like you said, Jimmy Garoppolo was perfect last night in the second half. He threw four incompletions the entire game, which is just unheard of. His quarterback rating was 118.8, and he had 285 yards. So I totally agree with you. The game ball for Jimmy Garoppolo, well-deserved. Um, and I, I agree. If he had the touchdowns, people would, would wake up. Which It's kind of sad, I feel like, that it's 2019, and we can't talk about a quarterback having a good game unless he throws for three touchdowns. Yeah, well, I mean, if you knew what I spent my day arguing with Raiders fans about them wanting to say Max Crosby is everybody's deserving for defensive rookie of the year because, well, he had one extra sack and he has just as many tackles. It's like, yeah, but it, it's 2019. Go watch film. You'll see <laughs> Max Crosby is as great as he is. I do think Max Crosby is a very good player, certainly a great rookie. He has plays where he's a complete non-factor. As I just said, Boza doesn't. That's the yeah. difference. That's why Boza is a full 20 points higher rated on PFF from Max Crosby. But you, you, we could be 2099, and you're still gonna have uh, <laughs> you're still gonna have people that I'm trying to avoid taking this into a realm that's outside of sports. So you're gonna have people that aren't very bright. I'll just leave it simple like that. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, then let me get to my game ball. I have to go also on the offensive side of the ball, and I have to go to Kyle Shanahan. You could tell, and I don't care what he says, you could tell, Levin, the game plan for certain games for Kyle Shanahan is just different. The big games, he whips out the big guns, and he did it yesterday, whether it was the reverses to Debo Samuel, whether it was that they ran a counter play where Juszczyk was the lead blocker, and he basically ran a counter with this lead block as well. They had that quick little RPO with that slant to Debo at the goal line that almost went for a touchdown. The 49ers for the big games have big game plans, and Shanahan whipped it out last night. It was a beautiful thing to watch, and that's why the Falcons game was so frustrating because we didn't see any of those plays, but he was brilliant yesterday. And when the 49ers got the ball, 
on the what was it the six their own six yard line and they go 94 yards in eight plays and stuck it in the end zone i was like if there's ever a game where the niners are going to score 20 or more in this building it's tonight right i mean i think he's been saving bullets for this game for the last half of the season i think i don't think there's any question because this isn't the first season we've seen this where shannon tends to have I would say a little more innovative plays in the big games. We've seen this the sweeps with Debo before. So it's not just that play, but there were certainly new wrinkles. I mean, Seattle came in and they were taking away one of the bread and butter plays of the Niners. If Kittle tried to leak out, it didn't matter. Somebody was there and we saw him get annihilated on one of those leak outs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because Seattle knew they like these leak outs. We're not going to go away from them. We're not going to fall for the fake. We're going to stay right on him and nail him if they try to throw the pass to him. And yet it didn't really stop the Niners. And that's because I think Shanahan had a lot of new wrinkles that Seattle wasn't really ready for. Did you see, I mean, I don't know how you could miss it, the huge flak jacket that George Kittle was wearing. Does he have some sort of rib injury? He had the biggest flak jacket I've ever seen a player wear. I thought he gained like 50 pounds over the last week. I did see it, and I don't know if he is. I mean, he's one of those guys that he could be on death's door and you wouldn't know it. I mean, he's one of those prideful <laughs> guys that is going to hide it. But one thing I did see, which ties into what we were just talking about, and I actually forgot to mention it, because I actually laughed out loud and told my wife what I saw because I couldn't believe it. It was, uh, I believe, after the Debo touchdown. They had a close-up on, no, actually, I think it was the used check long pass. But after that, they had a close-up on Pete Carroll, who's obviously their leader defensively. I mean, he has a big say on defensive game plans. And there was no audio, but you could read his lips quite well. And he said, what the F was that? (laughs) (laughs) That tells you, Shanahan was coming... Coming at him with things that no amount of film study was going to help you on because it was something new. And that confirmed all of that to me when I saw that. It just made me laugh. I was like, yeah, this offense is running stuff that Seattle hasn't been able to game plan for because they couldn't see it in film. Who else is throwing a 49-yard pass to the fullback down the sideline? I mean, it was absolutely incredible. I love when they when they uh, let Juszczyk leak out of the flat like that. It's it's beautiful. and And... That goes to, and this can sort of take us into a bigger picture view. That's part of the reason why they, oh, what's up? Before you get there, you asked who else throws a 49-yard pass to the fullback. Yeah. I I can't let this pass without saying the Saints when Taysom Hill is their fullback. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Don't even. Don't even take me down that road. Just, no. He had a touchdown yesterday. Did you see it? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I saw it. You want to know why I saw it? Because now everyone on Twitter has to alert me to any time Taysom Hill does anything in any game. It's all your fault, too. You, you've ruined my NFL experience now because I'm on Taysom Hill alert. Uh, can you imagine if we if the Niners had to play them they in might. the playoffs? I, I know what Twitter's going to be like for you that day. No, I'm, I'll make another bet and I'll win. <laughs> Beyond Anyways, Taysom. where were you going? Where were you <laughs> well, about to take us? I was saying, you know, taking a bigger picture view of things, there was a lot of criticism of the 49ers when Juszczyk signed that deal. It was the biggest deal any fullback had ever gotten in the history of the NFL. And people said, what are the 49ers doing? He's a fullback. It's not that important. But Kyle knew 
exactly how he wanted to use Juszczyk, exactly how he could take the skills that Juszczyk has and maximize them in this offense. And I think it's something we've seen with, with Debo Samuel as well. You know, he wasn't the first wide receiver off the board. He looks like a perfect fit in this offense. So I have to give Kyle and John Lynch credit for understanding what kinds of players fit their roles. And I think we've seen in the first couple drafts that they've been able to do that very well. And it's it's a strength of both of those guys. Right. It's it's why they were able to take Kittle and know what he was going to be. I mean, it, I think if they're being honest, did they think he was going to be this crazy, one of the best offensive weapons in the league? No, probably not. But they took a guy. I don't remember the exact number of receptions he had in college, but I mean, it, it was minuscule because Iowa does not pass to their tight ends. They don't pass <laughs> almost ever. Their tight ends are blockers, which is why Kittle is such a great blocker. But they saw his athletic ability in his 40 times and athletic, I, forget, I can't remember what it's called, the athletic rating that players get prior to the draft. But they saw it there, like his spec score. Um, they saw it there, and they saw the potential that, hey, if we get this guy, he's going to be a great blocker, and he has the athletic ability that as long as we get the ball to him, he's going to be able to wreak havoc because once he gets the ball, he goes. And you you see that. I mean, does Kittle get down the field and make some deeper catches? Yeah, occasionally, but a large majority of his stuff are short passes where they get the ball to him in space and they let the big guy go. And that was something that, Shanahan knew it was a a strong likelihood when they drafted him that, hey, this is an athletic guy. I'm confident in my ability to game plan him open. And once he has the ball in his hands, good luck. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In case you're wondering, George Kittle in four years in college had 48 catches for his entire college career. He has 85 catches in 14 games this year. So you're saying he's pretty good. <laughs> I'm saying, look, they like they saw something. Like you said, they saw something, and it's it's been a perfect fit for the offense. And you look at the draft classes the 49ers have had. I mean, this year, Bosa, second pick round one, absolute stud. Debo Samuel, absolute stud. We don't know about Jalen Hurd because he's been hurt all year. Mitch Wichnowski is on my list for kicking the ball out of bounds yesterday on the kickoff. I couldn't believe it. The 49ers have all the momentum. Their offense is rolling. Seahawks are not really doing anything. And what do they do? They give Russell Wilson in the offense the ball on the 40-yard line because Mitch Wisnowski punts, uh, kicks the ball out of bounds. I wanted to jump through the television screen and shake him. Yeah, it, it was really bad timing because we haven't seen him shank one all season, and he's new to kickoff duties. He learned it because Robbie Gold doesn't do it, and the Niners wanted their punter to handle it. And I think coming into the season, I did kind of expect him to maybe have a shank here or there or not get it very deep or, or something like that and didn't see it all season. When does he pick to do it at the worst possible time? Oh, it was absolutely hideous. But big picture view of Kyle Shanahan. We'll start with him. We both, I think, obviously can see his talent, his ability, his play calling scheme. But there's also been a couple issues that we've had with him throughout the season. So how do you feel overall about Kyle Shanahan in 2019? I would say he's, there's no perfect coach. Even Belichick has not been perfect. I mean, look at the Malcolm Butler benching when he just didn't play him. 
the last time they lost in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, was that. When he just didn't play him and never gave a reason and then let Butler walk. And that's a Super Bowl hero that he did that to because he has a certain arrogance about him that leads to extreme stubbornness when it comes to a player that he feels like is in his doghouse. It can turn very quickly. And Shanahan has that. He's kind of the mm-hmm. offensive version of that. He's an offensive genius. I would say to every bit the degree that Belichick is a defensive genius. But he's also very quick to bury a guy on the depth chart. I mean, we were talking about our last podcast. He's done it with Brita. Incredible. Brita's a non-factor in this offense at this point. While Tevin Coleman continues to be a... I wouldn't say necessarily a large part because he's so ineffective that by the second half, he's pretty much not playing anymore, <laughs> but he gets every chance each week. And why? I, I don't get it. Like, I, He's the starter technically. Correct. And the only reason why I think he does this is there are certain runs that Coleman does that you don't see Mostert doing, you don't see Brita doing, that's because he, he's a little he's got a little more power. So when you see the in between the tackle runs, it's more often Coleman. You see the outside runs with the two speed, there's two track guys, you don't see them I mean they still try him with Coleman because he does have good speed. Coleman can't make a cut to save his life, especially last night. I mean I tweeted it out. Change your dang cleats because even in the second half yep. he goes to make a cut and he falls i saw it three times he's doing an outside run where he's got to wait for the window and then make a sharp cut and get straight up the field and every time he went to make the sharp cut his feet didn't stay underneath them and he just fell and it's like okay change your cleats if it happens once maybe you think about it if it happens twice there's no more thinking about it change your cleats yeah, I mean, to me, the runs that Coleman does at the, that Breida and Mostert don't do are the three-yard gains. Mostert and Breida can get through the line and make people miss and, and rip off chunk yardage. When's the last chunk play that Tevin Coleman has had? I can't even remember it. I, I don't understand the, frust- the, the stubbornness with Kyle with, with either sticking with guys or, like you said, putting guys in the doghouse. I mean, is, is Pettis still even on the team? Does he yeah. suit up? Like I, I haven't seen the, that guy's been a ghost, and I don't know if, like you said, it's the arrogance that Shanahan has, or what. If there's issues off the field that we don't know about, but it is sort of, it's troubling to me a little bit. I mean, he gets off guys quickly. We saw it last night with Akella Witherspoon. He gave up a one-on-one to, as Joe Tessitore called him, decaf Metcalf, and that's it. Mosley was in next. And then they asked him after the game, and I think they asked him today, too, like, who's this starter? And he didn't say it was going to be Witherspoon. He said he has to decide. And it's just, it's that lightning quick with Shanahan. You're in, and then you're out. Yeah, I think he, I think he does give some players a little more leeway. But the moment he decides, okay, I'm done with you, it's like you've been thrown into the trash heap. And the only way he's going back to you is if he's got to rummage through his trash because he's got no other <laughs> options. <laughs> right, he's going through the lost and found. Oh, look, here's a Dante Pettis. But overall, I mean, if, if you had to rate him on, I know we weren't really going to do a 10-point scale or anything, but I would say he's like 9.5. He has, he has one issue that you see time and time again. Uh, it is arrogance. You see it not just with how he treats players. You also see it in his play calling sometimes. 
and it is as one negative, but overall there's very few, if any coaches I would choose over him. If I could swap coaches in the league. Would you say if I give you a draft of all 49ers head coaches, you're obviously taking Bill Walsh with the first pick. Are you taking Kyle Shanahan with the second? That's a very interesting question. I I don't know enough pre Bill Walsh. I'll admit that I'm 34 years old who became a fan, not growing up in California because of their dominance in the Bill Walsh years. So I don't know enough about the coaches that came before Bill Walsh. I do know they did not have a Super Bowl victory before Bill Walsh. So, um, but yeah, I think I would probably take him over Seifert, take him over Mooch. You know, I'm a T.O. lover, so my love of Mooch is. Hmm. Who, who'd you mention? Harbaugh. Yeah, I think I would take him over Harbaugh. I mean, Harbaugh is Harbaugh is the supernova star. Burns bright, but he's going to burn mm-hmm. out. He's not a long-term answer, whereas Kyle Shanahan somebody I could see being here for 15 years from now. But I guess if the only guy I would say is close other than Bill Walsh is Dennis Erickson. I don't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> God, what a disaster. <laughs> Seifert has a sneaky good resume, though. People don't realize George Seifert, in his first four years, went 14-2 and two, three times. That's crazy. He's the but only coach. The credit there probably belongs with Walsh. That's yeah. my issue with Seifert. I mean, okay, but you know they don't just roll the ball out on the field and dominate. Like you still got to come up with game plans and and manage the team. And that's a hell of a start for any coach. I mean, George Seifert and Jim Caldwell have the record for most victories by a coach in his rookie year with fourteen. Now, to me, Jim Caldwell, that's due to Peyton Manning. But I give I give Seifert a little more credit because you had a lot to manage on those teams. You had a lot of big personalities with the Colts and Peyton Manning. I mean, he ran the show. Nobody was going to cross the sheriff and live to tell the tale. Right. Uh, from what I know of the Seifert days, and obviously I was pretty young during those days, but from what I've read after in the years since, he ruled with an iron fist, and I think there is something to be said for he falls pretty close into that hardball line of somebody that's going to burn bright, but he's also going to burn out. He's going to lose a locker room after a while because he was such a, for lack of a better term, a hard ass. I mean, you, you hear some of the players tell stories about him and how much of how hard it was to play for him because he was so incredibly demanding and would, you know, have a temper. And I think to me, the team he inherited played a big role in what happened when he left plays a big role in why I would take Kyle over him. It's incredible when you consider Kyle's career record to this point, obviously, hopefully going forward, it'll improve, but it has not been very good. He did not really start winning games until Jimmy Garoppolo got there. Let's go to the defensive side. Now, Robert Sala, uh, you hear his name come up for a lot of head coaching opportunities. I believe he's going to interview with the Cleveland Browns. I'm sure other teams, I've seen him linked to Jacksonville. Um, This is a guy that many 49er fans wanted to run out of town after last season. What's your view on Salah with clearly a bounce-back year in 2019? To me, I can't make up my mind on him. I'm really a fence-setter with him. I think, I will say, I think he makes a tremendous head coach type of 
person. He is a great motivator. Now, in terms of his actual X's and O's, I think he does have, he's very good outside of game days, X's and O's. I'm very dubious of his ability to adjust. And you've seen that in recent weeks. I mean, have that same dominant defensive line. You can't just keep rushing four guys and expect to get home. The Niners have not been getting home. They have not been getting sacks, but he hasn't adjusted. I I feel like there's also a very big factor in that when he had not very good talent, the defense was terrible. This season, at the beginning of the season, he had an all-world defense, a defense that could legitimately have arguments if they had stayed healthy for seven or eight pro bowlers. Yep. And the defense was all of a sudden dominant. He then loses a few of those guys and the defense is back to being, I mean, the last, what is it? Six, seven weeks. They have not been good. They, they're giving up. Uh, I think it was 28 points coming into the game against Seattle over the last six weeks. And to me, there's still enough talent on this defense to be a very good defense. Would they be elite? Would they be at the historic pace they were at the beginning of the season? No, but they're still good enough to be a legit strong defense, and they haven't been. And I think to me that that falls a lot on Salah because a coach who can dominate with great players but doesn't do anything with anything but great players to me, isn't a very good coach. But he's a great motivator, who I think is a pretty darn smart guy from everything that I've heard, everything that's why Shanahan has him in such high regard, is that he is very smart. He knows his X's and O's. It's just game days. I'm not not convinced on him, but he's a head coach. He's not going to be calling the defense. He's not going to be running it. And he, to me, is as good of a motivator as Singletary was. He reminds me of Singletary, who also knows the X's nose. The the thing with with Salah that gives me pause is I feel like he's not they always say about Belichick, well he makes you he forces you to do things that you don't do well. Basically, he makes you play left handed, for lack of a better phrase. I don't know that Robert Salah makes you do that. Against the Rams, everybody knows the Rams are going to use bootlegs. And they come out in the first half, they're bootlegging all over the place. The 49ers' ends are always rushing to the inside, and that just leaves the field wide open for Goff to roll out and make those plays. And we've seen it in other games as well, and I feel like, yeah, maybe he adjusts in-game after the team scores a touchdown or two, and he makes the adjustment, which is great. But going in, if everybody knows this is what they're going to do, why are they able to do it right away? And, I mean, look how frustrated everybody was after the Baltimore game. What'd he do? He gave them their greatest strength and said, I'm going to take everything else. I'm going to crash down and take away the inside run with Ingram and make right. Lamar Jackson do everything. Well, that's the MVP. You're playing into what they want. Take away Lamar Jackson and make Ingram win it. But he, to me, he tends to go the opposite way. I think he does have a very clear philosophy of when he plays a dominant player, he's going to say, 
I'm going to let the dominant player do everything and have the ball in his hands, but I'm going to take away everything else. Yeah, that seems backwards to me. Like, if you were asking the Ravens, would you rather be forced to give the ball to Ingram or have Lamar have the ball in his hands? They would happily say Lamar Jackson. And we saw that worked out. Now, granted, you could say, hey, look, the Ravens won on the last second field goal on the final play of the game. But when you're playing these good teams, the last thing you want is to get beat by the other team's best player. And that seems to be Salah's goal. Yeah, I, I do think, like I said, he has a very clear philosophy in certain games that he says, I'm going to give the elite player the ball, but I'm going to take away everything else. And that doesn't always work. A guy like Lamar Jackson, that doesn't work because he can run so well. A guy like Russell Wilson, that doesn't work because Russell Wilson is the new Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. He's so great at staying alive and making something happen out of a broken play. That's that's his bread and butter. That's what Aaron Rodgers used to be when he was more mobile. He could avoid guys and do these little jukes and avoid the pass rushers over and over again and then oh oh hey i got a guy 30 yards downfield who's gotten open 15 seconds after the snap now one of the things i was always worried about in the harbaugh era because the team was so good so quickly was that his coaching staff was going to get raided and we didn't really see that greg roman stayed vic fangio stayed and that team i think in part due to that fact was able to be successful for a few years when harbaugh was there We've already seen Salah get interviews. How upset would you be if he did decide to take a head coaching job and the 49ers had to replace him? That all depends on who they replace him with. Because I don't think you can change the defensive system. They have built this roster to mirror what the Seahawks were. That's why they went out and got Sherman. You can't change this defense. It is built based on having a solid pass rush up front and big physical corners on the back end who are going to make your routes be delayed. That's what it's built around. It's built around a physical presence in the secondary and a dominant defensive line. I don't think you can change that. I mean, if if you brought in a guy, you know, you bring in a defensive coordinator and he goes, hey, I'm going to blitz blitz Fred Warner every play because I think the linebacker, you you know, that, that system wouldn't work. You'd be taking Fred Warner's strengths away. So I think... It all depends on if they can get a guy who knows the system and bring him in. I, I do think, to a certain degree, that wouldn't be too difficult to find because the players know the system so well. Sherman knows the system so well, assuming Sherman sticks around, which I don't think is a question. I think Sherman's going to retire with the 49ers. Um, I think he'll have a contract extension after this one, I think. Maybe he becomes the defensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I think he could do it. I think he could do it when he's not playing. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. When playing. Right. Okay. I, I do think if he wants to, there's certainly coaching in his future. Like I said, if he wants to, because I think he is a very good leader of men, a very smart X's and O guy, and a guy that I think is so well-respected, he would be able to transition into that role. Now, like I said, we're going to do a podcast next week, and we're going to get into the playoffs and matchups and all that, but here we are. 49ers are 13-3. and Number one seed in the NFC. They play, they will play, obviously, when they get to the playoffs. The early game 
on Saturday, which is a great spot to be in. Got every advantage. Every possible advantage of the 49ers, it's here. It's set up for you. So, if the 49ers were to go one and done in the playoffs, is this a successful season? Or do your expectations change? Because as we just said, they're in a driver's seat right now. I think when the dust settled, maybe it would take all the way until the draft or the start of free agency. But I think eventually I would look back on the season and say that was a, a great season. That was a success. Now, will it take me a month to get there if they go one and done? Yeah, probably. Am I going to have a complete meltdown on Twitter if they lose? Yeah, probably. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, I think, I mean, you, to me, you, you got to remember, you can't judge things in hindsight, in my opinion. You got to remember where you started. You kind of have to balance the two. And if you remember where the where we were in preseason, I mean, just about every, even the optimistic fans were saying, just make the playoffs. 10 and 6, great. We had a great season. Wild card, great. We had a great season. You can see the progress, which last year was a lot harder to see because of injuries to Grapplo and other guys. It was hard to see the progress, and there still were question marks with this regime. Regime. You know, there are question marks on Lynch. There are question marks on Shanahan and certainly question marks on Salah about whether or not this was going to be a success. All those question marks, I think, are gone. Maybe a little bit there with Salah, as we just discussed. But I think there's no question this regime is the correct regime for the team and for the future. That those six-year contracts that were given out to Lynch and Shanahan were the right decision by Jed York. And this is a great foundation that could be around for years and years to come. So to me, I would look back at this season in April or you know, at, at some point in the offseason and go, that was the start of everything. That's what confirmed the Niners are here. That's the season that confirmed that this gamble of six-year contracts paid off and the future is bright. See, I, compl- I completely disagree with you. I come down on the other side. I am totally, hey, at the beginning of the season, we didn't have the information that we have now. We didn't realize how good some of the players on this team were. But now we've played 16 games, and we've seen it. We have that information now. We know how good they were. If you knew in August that Nick Bosa was going to be the defensive rookie of the year and one of the best pass rushers in the league right out of the gate, and if you knew that Debo Samuel was going to have, I'm not sure if he broke Jerry Rice's record, but close to the record for receiving yards by a 49ers rookie, you know, if you knew that Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be super clutch in late game situations and make some incredible throws, especially over the middle of the field, you wouldn't have been hoping for just a playoff berth. You would have been hoping for where they are now, which is the top seed in the NFC. So I think once you're here, sitting in this spot with the bye, playing in the perfect, the Patriots slot, playoff spot is what I like to call it, because they always seem to end up with that early game on Saturday. Your expectations have to change because things don't always line up for you to get to where they are. Guys get hurt. Guys play badly. Things happen. Sam Darnold got mono out of the blue this year. I mean, weird stuff happens. Once you're here, to not take advantage of it, I feel like would be a disappointment. So if the 49ers do not make the Super Bowl, when they are two home games away from that, I will be disappointed, and I will always, always look back at the season and say it was a disappointment. Sure, I would be disappointed. But I would still look back at the season and say it was a success. I mean, you mentioned them, 
And it's funny you mentioned them because I was going to react with them and bring them up. I was going to say, we're not the Patriots. We shouldn't have expectations of Super Bowl or bust. Do you want that? Certainly. But it shouldn't be, you have to make the Super Bowl to have a successful season. The Niners aren't the Patriots. But you they know, are. Maybe the in, in 1996, 97, 98. Right. Yes, that was the expectation because of the history the team had. They were a dynasty. In my opinion, only dynasties should really have that expectation of it's Super Bowl or this season was a waste. The Niners aren't there. Hopefully they get there. Maybe in 10 years I'll be along your lines. But to me, they're not there. And yeah, you don't have to remind any Niner fan, I don't think, that things can go, for lack of a better term, I have really bad terms stuck on my head today. For lack of a better term, things can go tits up really quickly. We saw that with the Harbaugh years. Exactly. Which is why when you're here, you have to hit it. You have to strike when the iron's hot because things go hits up. That's the coolest <laughs> phrase I've ever heard. But I mean, to to not I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously it's still a good season. You're thirteen and three. But just like I look back at the Ravens season and say that was a disappointment, and when I look back at the year after when I lost the NFC championship game in Seattle. Yeah, the season was great. You won a lot of games, but you were there, and you're not always there. And I remember, I will always remember the Jim Tomsula year and what it's like to go into a season knowing that you have no shot to win a Super Bowl. I remember that. So when you're there, you got to hit it. And if the 49ers don't, I will forever be disappointed, and it's, it's always going to be painful to look back at that. I'll never look back and say, hey, that was a great year. It's funny you say that because there's a reason why Dennis Erickson was the guy I brought up because that's the first season for me that I knew going into the season, there was no shot at the Super Bowl because the year he inherited the team, they were the first team in NFL history to lose their leading passer, leading rusher, and leading receiver all in the same offseason. And that's why that team was so terrible. (laughs) Part of it. Dennis Erickson was definitely not cut out for the NFL game either, but... Dennis. I mean, talk about a franchise that has had some of the greatest coaches of all time and some of the absolute worst coaches of all time. That's the San Francisco 49ers. Bill Walsh, Kyle Shanahan, Jim Harbaugh, great coaches. Dennis Erickson, Jim Tom Sula, Chip Kelly. Ugh. Yeah, anyway, at least we don't have Adam Gase and his wonderful eyeballs. His crazy eyes. That's going <laughs> to do it for us. <laughs> I want to remind... I- I, I do want to go, before we wrap this up, I want to ask you, who do you want to play? Uh, Philly. I think, we, I think we have to go there. Who do you want to play? I want to play Philly. Look, I, I know that Carson Wentz is great, but it's Carson Wentz and uh, Madden creative player. I mean, who's Boston Scott? Like, what? Is that a real player? Like, I didn't, The Eagles, even though they have a good head coach and Carson Wentz can be great, I just I think that their roster just does not hold up to the 49ers roster. And I want no part of Minnesota. I want no part of the Saints. I want no part of the Packers. Well, maybe a little part of the Packers if I had to choose. But to me, the softest landing is the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are going to be fans out there that say, I want the rubber match with Seattle. or, or oh, forget or that. Like that. No. Why? The playoffs you is not a prideful. You just need to win the game in front of you. It doesn't matter who you play. The, the playoffs are not a time for revenge games or any of that. Just win the games in front of you. 
And so I do want Philly. I want the battle of the busted knee quarterbacks. That's, that's, <laughs> that's <I mean>. awesome. <laughs> Dueling ACLs. <laughs> but that's what I want to see. I want to see Philly. And then, hey, you know, I, I think people on the podcast know I moved to Pittsburgh. So at least if we play Philly, people around the town are going to be with me and rooting with the Niners. Well, I didn't think about that, but that's true. Yeah, I think Philly Philly is definitely the team I would like to face. And then I want no part of Seattle. I think I'm not worried about them playing Green Bay again. I think if they play Green Bay, the same thing is going to happen. I'm not scared with Packers defense. I'm not scared by Aaron Rodgers as much as I have been in the past. Um, I do not want to face New Orleans again. I do not want to face Seattle again. No, thank you. And in the AFC, I'll face anyone except Baltimore. I know it's looking way, 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 way ahead, but (laughs) anybody except the Ravens I would feel good about. Yeah, I mean, I think even with the Ravens, I would kind of feel good. Assuming, I think we would need D4 in that game. I don't think we can beat them without D4, but if we have him and Bosa on the bookends, I would feel pretty confident going into that game. But that's a topic for... A month from now, hopefully. I can't deal with another 49ers-Ravens Super Bowl. They'd be <laughs> Two weeks, I'd be having to drudge up all the highlights from the other game. Flacco is not coming through that door. <laughs> yeah, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Yeah, like you said, we're a long way away from that. But here's hoping we get there. But that's going to do it for us. I uh, just want to remind you once again that the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast is brought to you by TheQBSneak.com. For accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy team or confidence pools, head to theqbsneak.com. Like I said earlier, we're going to come back next week. We'll have much more of a playoff preview-focused podcast. Give you everything you need to know for one of hopefully two 49ers home games in the playoffs. For 11 Black, I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Zane wasn't able to take part in the initial recording of this podcast, but was able to do his portion at a later time. Here is Zane. Eight long years. A championship game loss. Multiple blowout losses in Seattle. This win in Seattle to get everything, basically for all the marbles, for home field advantage, for the first round bye, for the division title, in a December game, in prime time, in a game that Pete Carroll does not lose, like Stats talks about it all the time, where Pete Carroll, I think it was something like 19-4 and four in primetime games in his career in Seattle. They just don't lose those games. Russell Wilson doesn't lose those games. The Niners went up there. They took the lead. They hung on to win. And I don't care by how slimmest the margins it was. It was a fantastic showing from them. A showing that could basically tell you that they can win in any way possible in any location against any team. I mean, this... this has the potential to make it into uh, uh, an actual watershed moment for this team. I mean, they have, they've seen a lot of things happen in this season. They've seen injuries. They've seen a really rough schedule. They've seen that, that gauntlet quote unquote that we saw that three game stretch with the green Bay, the Ravens and, and, and uh, the saints, two of those being road games. And they've overcome all of that. And to me, what this, kind of signifies is it's a changing of the guard it really is because Pete Carroll is getting older the Seahawks they're not what they used to be they lost all of their games at home this year that's and mind you they've lost two at home two straight at home to end the season and that's a big deal because years ago when Richard Sherman was on the Seahawks and it was a legion of boom and all that stuff 
we didn't think that that would ever happen. And now they're a different team. They don't have a defense. The Niners were running the ball up and down the field on them. And you're looking at a 49ers team to me that is the most dangerous in the NFL. Like these guys have beaten all the top teams in the NFC. They've beaten the Saints, they've beaten the Packers, they've beaten the Seahawks. So really what it comes down to is that you're going to have all your home games here, all your playoff games at home at Levi Stadium. Hopefully the, the divisional game and then the championship game. But really what, what it means to me is that all the questions that we had about this team, all the, the, the question marks about, oh, can they handle themselves on the big stage? What's Jimmy going to do? What's Kyle Shanahan going to do? Wait till they play the big boys. They've answered all of those to the, the tune of 13 and three. And if you ask me at the beginning of the season, like we, we did our predictions at the beginning of the season. If you guys remember, we talked about the, the potential record they may, ha- may have. And I thought that they would go eight and eight because I was like, okay, it's, a, it's still a rebuilding year. They don't necessarily have the horses that they need to be able to run. But I mean, man, like the, the addition of Nick Bosa and D Ford on the defense and Quan Alexander, obviously, and Jimmy being able to play a full 16 games, like almost 4,000 yards passing, 27 touchdowns, almost completed 70% of his passes. Like that to me is a Pro Bowl type season for most quarterbacks, right? All, obviously, he had those interceptions and five of those bounced off his own receiver's hands, right? So those weren't entirely his fault. But Towards the end of the season, Jimmy got stronger. You saw him getting better towards the end of the season. You saw him being able to carry the team in some instances, specifically in that New Orleans games, both both of those Cardinals games. And against Seattle on Sunday night, he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't have any of those, oh my God, Jimmy, what are you thinking throws? And the less of those throws he has, and the closer the playoffs that they get, the better it is. And I, I'm super interested to see what they do. Like Basically now, I'm just... I'm super excited. I'm so pumped. I'm thrilled. And I'm also very, very curious to see what the Niners do in the playoffs. Now, what are they going to show? Like they have two weeks to prepare. They got that needed, that all needed by, uh, they didn't play. They, they played without a break since week. What was it? Four. They had their buy. And you know, that's a long time. That's September. That's almost three months without a break. So they really needed this buy. looks like Tart and D Ford are going to be back. And I think that when it comes down to it, the Niners are the most dangerous team because of that. Cause this is going to be, if they get to the championship game, I don't want to look ahead, but if they get there, Juan Alexander's coming back too. So you're getting the full starting unit of the Niners actually starting and, and, and playing in the playoffs as they did at the beginning of the season. So because of that, I, I really do think that the, the, they are the most dangerous team. And man, what a roller coaster it was. At the end of that game, when they got the ball inside the 10-yard line, first of all, uh, Kyle managed that way, very, the game, the, the same way he managed that end of that Falcons game. He kind of let them bleed the clock, and he saved his timeouts and eventually saved his timeouts for the defense to regroup. And whether you agree or disagree with that, it, it doesn't matter. I think it largely depends on the outcome of the game because in the Atlanta game, I didn't really disagree. I, I didn't really agree with it because I felt like their defense wasn't able to stop anybody. And... Uh, subsequently Julio Jones scored that touchdown. But in this game, the fact that Dre Greenlaw came up with one of the biggest plays in 49ers history on the goal line to stop them two inches short of a division title and basically getting at least one home game is, is huge. I mean, the, the morale and the psyche of this team going into the divisional playoff game at Levi's first playoff game ever at Levi's end zones painted red. The crowd is going crazy. It's going to be an absolute nightmare for another team to come in and play whether it's Minnesota, whether it's Philly, whether it's Seattle, it doesn't matter. Whoever it is, Levi's is going to be rocking. And the 49ers have proven that they can win on the road. They can win at home. They can win anywhere. So I really think that the, the, the main takeaway from, from the game for me from Seattle was that 
the defense got, although they got tired at the end, they were bend, but don't break. And to me, like, I, I don't care about everything that happened leading up to that, that, that fourth down stop at the goal line. I don't really care about that. But when you get, uh, they just signed Earl Mitchell, by the way, as, as of uh, the, the recording of the show, they just signed Earl Mitchell. So that's another body that they can put in the middle of that defensive line for depth and a guy who knows the system. And I think is going to be a really underrated signing, but they're getting guys healthy. And I think that the, the tiredness quote unquote that you see from the defense will start to wane a little bit as they get these guys back and they can rotate guys out. Right. Marcel Harris did an admirable job for Jaquaski Tart filling in, but he's not Jaquaski Tart. Like Tart has been having a career year and, his play has been significant and instrumental to the success of this defense. So getting Tart back is huge. Obviously, getting D Ford back is massive because now there's going to be no do- double teams on Nick Bosa. He's going to be one-on-one. He's going to be able to eat on the outside. D Ford, we know how good he is. We know the impact that he has. You saw the impact that he has after he went out week 11. They haven't been the same since then. So I think everybody immediately gets better with those two people coming back. Mike Person as well, obviously, uh, of the offensive line. I think that Ben Garland's done a really, well, really good job at center, uh, aside from the, those couple of snaps that he had um, that, that, uh, that weren't that great when Wes Richburg was out. Um, but I just, I, man, I'm just so pumped after the Seattle game. I don't know about you guys. I am so pumped after this game. Like, I, what a roller coaster. This is one of those things that for either team, like for Seattle, this is like so demoralizing. You go and you have the ball on the one yard line and you inexplicably take a delay of game because you wanted a a Hollywood ending for Marshawn Lynch. And I can't think of a better way for that team and that fan base to lose than in heartbreaking fashion on the one yard line because they deserve it. They absolutely deserve that. Pete Carroll after the game in his typical arrogant self said, well, you know, I wasn't really concerned about that delay of game because we were going to win the game anyways. Oh yeah, really? Okay, cool. Well, you didn't. And all their fans are crying and complaining about the, the, the non-con Fred Warner when in reality, the, the tight end Hollister actually pretty much initiated all the contact on that. And Fred Warner is basically hanging on for dear life. And that's similar to the Crabtree play in the Super Bowl, the last play where Jimmy Smith locked him up and they said that Crabtree initiated contact. That's why they didn't call holding or pass interference. So in that sense, it worked out in the 49ers' favor this time. And they were pointing to multiple other plays that were like not called. But it's like, okay, come on. At the same time, no team, you were going to sit here with that mouth and say that the Niners won because of the officials when no team over the last eight years has benefited more by missed calls than the Seattle Seahawks. So I'm not even taking any of that with, with any sort of seriousness because that team and that fan base knows absolutely nothing about what football actually is, right? They've just been riding this balloon, this bubble of of getting lucky breaks and lucky bounces and timely play from, from players and riding a, a number one defense to a Super Bowl, and that's it, right? Their only Super Bowl that they're going to get with this, with this team. So to me, like all of that stuff, that none of that matters. And to beat them in their house was so sweet. I, I think I said it earlier on this season where I, I would want nothing more than to go into Seattle and beat them and take basically take everything away from them and wreck their postseason. And that's exactly what the 49ers have set themselves up to do. So moving ahead, I think that uh, this is going to be a really key week for the 49ers to get healthy. Obviously, there's going to be no game plan put in because they don't know who they're playing. But we're going to know by the, the, by the early game when the NFC plays. And remember, the, the NFL split it up where the NFC and the AFC are separate this, week, this year. So by Sunday morning, the end of Sunday morning, we're going to know here on the West Coast what's going to happen. If Minnesota beats the Saints, then the, the Niners are playing Minnesota here. Minnesota's a 60, remember that. If the good Kirk Cousins shows up, and he somehow somehow upsets the Saints. 
Minnesota's coming here. And that's that's the team I'm rooting for right now. I'm I'm wearing my my bandwagon Vikings hat and I'm like, you know what? That's you you kill two birds with one stone. You get that six one six matchup, the easiest matchup, and you eliminate the Saints who is who is basically going to be, I think, your biggest roadblock to get to the Super Bowl on the NFC side at least. So the the late game on, on Sunday obviously is a Seattle game. It's it's the Eagles hosting Seattle. And the Eagles are super, super banged up. They have a bevy of injuries, specifically in the receiving core. They're down to their fourth receiver, down to their second running back. Um, Lane Johnson's out. Um, they have had injuries at the running back position. So I'm not sure if Seattle's already beat them in Philly once this year. So I'm not sure if they can take down Seattle at this point. But obviously, we know Seattle has a lot of injuries too. Uh, Kendricks went out with he has a torn ACL. He went out in the game um, and uh, he ended up tearing his ACL. He's done. Um, they're still trying to bring in running backs. Marshawn Lynch wasn't really much of a factor. I think that. Uh, as an aside, uh, I, I, I think that it's great that the Niners beat Seattle with Marshawn Lynch just because they have no excuse now. They literally have no excuse. Like, okay, well, Marshawn Lynch was there too. So, with, you know, you, you had your whatever stud running back or whatever you want to call him, right, that you were hyping up all week. And Pete Carroll gave him that one-yard touchdown basically as a hype touchdown, right? They're throwing Skittles on the field and all that crap. So I don't, I don't think that he's going to be a big focal point. He's 34 years old. He's been on this, basically on the street for a, a year and a half, and you can't just walk in and, and dominate. The NFL doesn't work like that, so I'm not really scared of that. But that being said, like you, you may see the Seahawks in, in two weeks here at Levi's, and that's a very real possibility. Richard Sherman said it after a game in the locker room. We may see these dudes again. And to be honest, uh, either way, I really don't care. I, think, I, I know that I picked against the Niners, and I will atone for that because – or I will I – will, um, actually own that because uh, I, I wanted the Niners to be able to beat Seattle in Seattle before I started picking them um, to win those games. And they did. And they shut up all those people like myself and stats who picked against them. And uh, it was one of those mind versus heart things where my heart wanted to go Niners, but my mind was like, okay, well the Niners, you know, they, they've never beaten Seattle in Seattle with this current group. So that little bit led me to make that prediction that I, that I did. And, and at the end of the game, I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, man, what's it going to take for the Niners to win in Seattle when, when I thought that they were going to lose, I really did. And I was like, what's it going to take for them to win in Seattle? And they finally, uh, they, they finally pulled it off. So um, that being said, my game ball, my game ball in this game, um, man, Dre Greenlaw, like he was so good. He he, I believe he led the team of tackles. He had that key uh, stop at the end. Obviously he's made two huge plays against Seattle this year. Patterns his game after Bowman and Willis. Those were his idols. And I think that as a rookie, he's come in and he's become such a dependable starter, a guy that's been highly underrated. Obviously, Fred Warner has been the star of the linebacking crew after Quan Alexander went out. And Dre Greenlaw's very quietly had a really, really solid rookie campaign. So Greenlaw gets my game ball solely for his performance um, on that last drive. I think Debo Samuel had a great game too. Debo's coming along really well, and he's becoming a, a really reliable target for Jimmy. And you saw, obviously, that the, the in fact, that George Kittle had, right? So there are a lot of guys that could have gotten He Mostert was running through big open running lanes and, and hitting the hole hard. He had two touchdowns. And I think that they're, they're really starting to hit their stride on offense. Seattle couldn't really stop them uh, on defense. And they, and they were really just the only thing that stopped the 49ers on the last drive was that bogus personal foul call, right? So if we're talking about stupid, stupid officiating, then let's, let's start with that, right? If, if the, the Seattle fans want to do that. But I think that Going forward, the Niners are set up really well. The offense seems to be hitting a stride. Jimmy is protecting the ball. He's he's seen the field better. He's willing to check it down. Like there are a few instances where he just checked it down short, and the guys were able to run with it, either for a first down or, or get it close to the sticks. But I think that 
uh, the defense getting guys healthy and, and, and getting guys back is really going to help because they, they just flat out were gassed by the end. And they had a great first half and immediately it's just the first series of the second half that Seattle had it. Like that was like, they were just off to the races and the Niners couldn't stop them. And I, I really truly think that that unit will have to play a little bit better. And if they, if they need to, if they want to move on, but they will because they're getting help back. So, um, as far as, I mean, we're going to do another show before, uh, before the divisional playoffs and obviously we can't make predictions, but really Niners fans, like there's two things I, I want to take away from this before, before I, before I go here. The first thing is that enjoy this victory. You have waited a long time for this to happen. You have waited countless years and endured countless insults from Seahawks fans and countless amounts of disrespect from them. And Pete Carroll chewing his gum on the sidelines, like a big jackass and all this stuff that's been going on. And, and you have endured Jim Tom Sula and Chip Kelly and an ACL injury to Jimmy Garoppolo that derailed seasons. You have endured so much. You deserve this. Enjoy this division title. Enjoy the first round by enjoy the playoffs. The first week, just chill, relax. You get to sit at home, spend the time with your family, however you want to spend it. And you get to enjoy the first round of the playoffs and then welcome whoever it is to Levi's the next week and make it a fortress. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, is that it may very well be Seattle. So everybody out there on Twitter and social media. And, and, and if you live in Seattle, talking to Seahawks fans or whatever, be careful because this team may show up again, right? And and we don't want to get too overconfident. We don't want to get too cocky. Beat them once. I believe they can beat them again, but just want to make it make it very clear that they could very well see each other again. And if everything goes the way that people think it may go or Vegas thinks it may go, then Seahawks will be at Levi Stadium on January 11th. So that being said, enjoy it. Be humble. Be hungry. And go Niners, baby. Let's do it.